And so I realized that when I played, you know, I wasn't able to have as much fun as I wanted. I took it way too seriously. I wanted to play pro ball. How could I give that opportunity for kids and players and get an opportunity to have a coach that understood that we're going to focus about the fun, the entertainment, and the show, and the baseball will take care of itself. And it's been a wild ride, but I'll tell you, I've learned more over the last 12, 13 years about what really matters. For me, it's been very clear. It's about the experience. It's about creating moments for people. And uh, the baseball, the revenue, the profits, it all takes care of itself. And those are the types of players that we're trying to bring into this organization. Not just talent, talented on the field, but awesome humans, energy givers, workers that want to show up for early work every day, guys that are passionate because summer baseball can be a ground. We want guys that have the perspective of like, man, it's I'm really fortunate that I do get to come to the baseball field, even though it's been 10 days in a row. And You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Only appropriate for this week's episode. How about a little boom, baby, as we are broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We stand as your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold in the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. A very special episode this week. We're diving into summer baseball across all fronts. It's a take feverish notes episode, so make sure you stick around for that. But also stick with me through these reminders especially for all you first-timers that are dialing into the podcast. We want to make sure you're at home. You know you're welcome here inside this community of lifelong learners, but we also want to make sure you hit subscribe on your device so you never miss another show. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and share these shows with everyone in your baseball circle. We exist here to challenge our coaching community. We want to help make each of you better and help grow the game along with you. Let's all be part of the solution to making that happen. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at ABCA1945. And do you want to know more about this coaching fraternity and why 11,000 loyal members around the world continue to be part of this group? Do you want to know more about our regional Barnstormers coaching clinics coming up this fall? And what about the granddaddy of them all, our ABCA convention coming to Nashville this January? For all of those details, you can head over to our website, ABCA.com. You can also check out our revamped YouTube channel. Find us at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 and make sure you hit subscribe on there as well. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly at any time at Coach Sheets 3 on Twitter and Instagram or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. The tweets this past week were off the charts. I'm going to throw some shout-outs out here. First one going to Nolan Dietrich from Free State High School in Kansas. He's a dedicated and feverish note-taker, always there with the listen, the share, and his takeaways. Much love, Nolan. Billy Barker from Paradise Valley Community College in AZ, coaching some summer baseball, and he dove into some episodes inside of Crowded Bus University. Sure, it smells great in there. Appreciate that, Billy. Also, Kelly Spann from Texas with the share. Bradley Shelton from Kentucky with the recommendation. Billy Mitchell, new head coach at Red Yard High School in Michigan with a tremendous nod. Thanks, Billy. And finally, Tyler Burnett out on the links, but still dialing into the show, earning his degree in Golf Cart University. You guys are the best, but we want more. Share where and when you're listening to the podcast. Are you driving in the car? mowing some grass, painting dugouts, spraying for weeds. We want to see your pick, your tweet, and even your takeaways. It's an instant retweet. You can bank on that, but we would love to hear from each of you. 
And the very last shout-out going to the proud sponsor of this podcast, our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. And on behalf of the association, we are so thankful the relationship that we have with these folks at AstroTurf. Their support of the podcast has been off the charts as well. And if you're interested in learning the details behind the fastest turf system designed by Baseball Metrics on the market, give them a follow. Start on social media at AstroTurf USA, but then make time to head over to their website, AstroTurf.com. That's AstroTurf.com and find out for yourself why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. And if you can't tell, there is a little extra energy on the line this week as we dive headfirst into the summer baseball department and connect with one of the top organizations in the country. Outside the box thinkers, major league culture happening, and results that cannot be denied as we welcome in Jesse Cole, the man in the yellow tux, owner of the Savannah Bananas, and their manager and loyal member inside the association, Tyler Gillum. Both men tackling this very important topic and offering our listeners insight into how they run shop there in Savannah, but mostly ideas and solutions to challenge coaches, managers, owners, and GMs to think differently about their clubs, the experience of the players and the fans, the environment at their ballparks, and how we can keep growing this space. Inside this show, both Jesse and Gilly take us into their journeys in the game. Special stories come out of that, but also how they both landed in banana suits and mostly how they've been willing to be different, to think differently, get creative, explore new territories, and bring a special product to the field and within its seats each and every night. So why the bananas? Because they deliver 70-plus sold-out crowds since 2016 averaging 4,200 fans per game and a wealth of information to offer all of us. If you can't get down on the dancing, you can get down on the business model. So sit back, peel a banana back with us as we welcome in Jesse Cole and Tyler Gillum from the Coastal Plains League's Savannah Bananas as they are our guests on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. So get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We have a very special treat for you today. We're going to dive into all aspects of college summer baseball. We've got two fantastic guests on the line with us. Um, and I just want to let you know, if you got the video feed, you're seeing it. In between questions, I'm probably going to dance because I've got so much energy on the line here. I feel like i got to move and shake because I know the guys on the other end of the line are going to be doing the same thing. So I want to welcome in one at a time the owner of the Savannah Bananas, Jesse Cole. Jesse, thanks for jumping on with us. Fired up to be with you today, especially next to this guy right next to me. No doubt. And you're talking about your manager of the bananas, Tyler Gillum, friend of the ABCA. Gilly, thanks for jumping on with us. Boom, baby. Great to see you, Sheets. Round two here. Let's get after <laughs> Let's this. get it going. There's a lot we want to cover. You guys saw we put a tweet out yesterday trying to get some feedback and some questions. We're going to mix those in throughout. But I think the beauty of it is this is the first time for our show we've dove into this topic. And so for you guys and what you're doing there with Savannah, we're going to dive into completely. But it's really painting the picture of what's going on out there in college summer space. How can managers navigate this process? Certainly, how can ownership uh, and ballparks really maybe flourish and maybe create some creative ideas from this? So let's start here. Uh, Gilly, you being a loyal ABCA member, you've been up on a couple of different stages at our convention and certainly uh, a loyal ABCA chatter at times. You're a podcast listener, all those things. Take us into your ABCA experience and then we'll try to convince Jesse to show up in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to try to get him out there with some boots on, right? I got to wear boots every game here <laughs> in Banana Land, so might as well get him some boots on too, right? Mm -hmm. So in this, maybe some yellow boots since he's yeah. got this yellow tux. So 
Um, ABCA, it's been the number one learning, growing, connecting um, platform mm-hmm. uh, place for me overall. I mean, it, this year, it's, it, it came for full circle. Um, in 2010 was my first convention in Dallas. And I walked in and I got to see Marty Lee speaking on infield play. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I didn't know, I didn't know what ABCA was. Um, My head coach, Dino Rosado at that time, D central was like, Hey, we're going to Dallas. It's two and a half hours South of Ada. And we're going to go check this place out. So I walk in, I map it out. I've got Marty Lee's talking infield play and I'm jacked up about it. I think, you know, I was an infield player. I thought I knew a little bit about infield. And um, I walk in and I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about infield. Marty Lee's has this thing figured out. Yeah. It was huge for me at that time. And then this year in 2019, um, I spoke on the Green Line Special, our base running philosophy, our, our hitting philosophy of what we do to try to score runs. And I get introduced on stage. Bartman introduces me on stage with a boom baby, fired up about <laughs> that on stage and to my left I look and Marty Lees is sitting there watching me give my speech so I'm sitting there thinking okay nine years eight years from you know from right now I didn't hardly know anybody staring at Marty Lees giving this infield talk and now full circle he's watching me talk on base running so um me ABCA is unbelievable and you know my speech Mm -hmm. for all the which is out there, sell your shirt, sell your computer, sell your Xbox, sell your body if you got to. You got to get your butt to ABCA. Nashville's going to be awesome. So uh, it, it's been unbelievable for me. We've actually gotta, ta- we, we've taken we've taken that line and we've printed it on the back of T-shirts. So sell your computers, you know, and do it the whole way. Um, Jesse, the Yellow Tux, man, you've got to experience this convention. So this is like my easy plug for you. September 1st, I want to see you signed up because I think you'll more than than experience what our baseball community really feels like on the ground floor with 7,000 other like-minded people. But I think you can obviously flourish inside what we what we are about in terms of learning and growing and sharing. Can I get you to Nashville? <laughs> I've heard amazing things. I think I uh, definitely got to look at the schedule. But, okay. you know, I mean, I, I started as a baseball guy. I know. Myself. I know. Full baseball. I now just turned into a showman. <laughs> and I realized that the show and the entertainment has helped the baseball. So uh, full circle as well. But I uh, definitely love being around the baseball guys. As, as, as Tyler knows, I'll jump in. You know, I'm in the dugout a lot of times. We're getting ready for promotions and shows. And we talk baseball. He's like, you're talking baseball. And I'm dressed like this. But um, I appreciate what they do. And I think it all comes together. And I think that's wow. the key about college summer baseball is how can you marry the two? Yes. Because you need to have a great experience for the players. You need to have a great culture, a great environment, a great atmosphere. Mm. And that's when the baseball takes care of itself when you put all that together. And fortunately, I think we got the best co- coach in the business to do this because I've said this before. There's probably only a handful of coaches that could coach for me and coach in this organization. And uh, he right here, I think, is the best that we've ever had. So we're very excited to see what we're doing here in Savannah. That is a fact. Now, while I've got you on air, I have to just maybe get clarification, Jesse. So I guess this was, uh, I guess, probably about three years ago. Tyler, it's your third summer in Savannah? Yes. Okay. Second, second. Second. Okay. So let's go about say two years ago. Um, I created a demo tape of myself dancing and I submitted that application for the first base dancing coach. And, um, Jesse, you never called back. <laughs> yeah. You were flat out denied. Um, <laughs> I was looking, I was looking for more, um, as you can wow. probably t- listen, Hey, the effort and the inspiration was there. 
the skill set <laughs> hadn't developed. And there's only so much you can teach. It's true. All right, I got to be honest with you. Okay. Um, but I will say that the breakdancing first base coach we have right now that can do backflips, that can do cartwheels. It's exceptional. Uh, it's next level. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, at, you talk about, you know, what is it? Uh, what are the stats now about how you, you bring in runs, you're responsible for runs. What's it called? War or uh, the, uh, what's the stat that like they talk about now in, in baseball about how you're responsible for runs? Like a, a team, a player. About war? Yes. Yeah, individual. Individual. Yeah, war. Yeah, war. War. All right. Say, yeah. say talking baseball here. All right. <laughs> Our first base, first base coach, Maceo, his war must be unbelievably high. Good. Because he drives and runs <laughs> because he's distracting and he's dancing. And sure. I'll tell you, that's a whole nother level. So that's a tangent we don't need to go to. But okay. I don't know if you bring that to the table, to the bananas. And I know Maceo is doing that nightly for I'm us. I'm just no backflips because uh, the body's old. But uh, I've got a wedding reception breakdown tape, kind of a mixtape that I'll send to you that um, it'll be it'll be undeniable that you'll need me. I'll, I'll tell you that. I can guarantee this. One night. Yes. One night we can put you out yes. there. We Him do the two-step with his fiance. One night you make it down here, we'll make it happen. Okay. I'm going to store that one away. Uh, i start stretching now. Um, let's do this. Let's go back to, because I know obviously Gilly, the bananas is one thing, but what keeps you busy is you're an assistant at South Mountain Community College and doing fantastic things there. Take us real briefly through your career path in baseball and then bring us up through, I mean, we're going to talk summer baseball. So your extensive experience in summer baseball, lay that out for us as well. Sure. The first two years of coaching, I was at East Central University as a GA. Um, we did not have a full-time paid assistant, so I got thrown into every role possible, which was awesome for mm-hmm. me. I was recruiting coordinator. As soon as I finished playing, basically, I got thrown into a car and said, go find some players. I was coaching third base. I was running infield. I was screwing it all up, which was <laughs> awesome for me. And understanding you know, what it takes, what it looks like, mm-hmm. and Working camps in that time, and that's where me and you met, was uh, DeMarini Top 96, which is honestly that time working DeMarini Top 96 camps led to this Mm -hmm. today. So it's crazy how all of that uh, plays a role. So I coached there at East Central for two years, moved to South Mountain. I wanted to go to a place that was – I could learn the most. I could grow the most. I can make the most connections. That's always everything that I do. Those are the questions I ask wherever I move to is, can I grow the most? Can I learn the most? Can I make the most connections in this area? And, uh, can I make the most impact? And that's kind of what I've based on taking jobs in the future. And that's kind of led to this, you know, in summer ball, um, I coached two summers, in 2012 and 13 in the Myrtle Beach Collegiate League. It's no longer around. Um, I coached three summers in the Texas Collegiate League with Kurt Dixon and Clay Cox, who's a huge ABCA guy for sure. And uh, we won three championships there with the Brazos Valley Bombers in College Station. Awesome time. And then I got an opportunity to go to the Cape with uh, Coach Pickler. And wow, what an experience in the Cape. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm you're around some of the best of the best every single day. So awesome experience there. And then I got a call from a friend of mine who I met through Dean Rooney top 96, Sean West, who's the former head coach here with the bananas. He was with us for the first two years. He actually won the CPL championship okay. in 2016, the first year of the bananas. So anyway, we met through Dean Rooney top 96, which me and you did as well. And um, when Sean couldn't come back as the bananas coach, because he had a child, um, he called me and said, hey, man, they're looking for a unique person. They're looking for a guy that will talk in front of Nailed thousands it. of people, that will dance, that will you know, do all these random crazy things, but also went on the baseball field and developed players. And um, 
he's like, I think you're it if you're interested. So um, we chopped it up and talked shop for a little bit. And then we got connected with Jesse. And I, I guess we'll get into that interview process a little bit too, probably. We will. Jesse, how did you mention again, baseball is what got you into this. And then it's just morphed into this entertainment piece. So take us through your baseball history and bring us up to speed. Uh, played at the top 96 back in high school, um, <laughs> alumni everywhere. Um, actually, uh, grew up in a little town situate, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, my dad bought a baseball facility, the South shore baseball club, which is a great program. Wow. Bought it. I was a kid because he wanted me to have every opportunity to play baseball in Massachusetts because it's so cold snow. So I became what they call like a baseball, uh, a baseball club rat. I was there all the time taking, sure. you know, batting practice, pitching and developed pretty well. And, um, went into my junior year and uh, started getting lots of scholarship offers. Many schools up north, you know, Boston College, Northeastern, Maine, all those schools up there. But I was like, I don't want to play in the snow. My senior year, my first game, it was snowing on April 1st. So I was like, this ain't happening. Um, so fortunately, I went down to a, the Blue-Gray Classic at Wake Forest mm -hmm. and started getting seen by you know, William Mary, Davidson, and Wofford. And Wofford ended up putting together the best possible package for me and went down there and... Um, you know, became the Friday night starter right away, wow. uh, became a two-way guy, uh, was hitting and, and pitching. I uh, had 42 starts on the mound. And then in my uh, junior year, started to feel pain in my shoulder. And I found out that I tore my labrum and both rotator cuffs, the supraspinatus and the infraspinatus, and can't even say the names, but they were all torn. <laughs> sure. And uh, fortunately, they got me uh, uh, Dr. Andrews. So I got surgery with Dr. Andrews. They had me... Um, you know, hopefully try to come back and pitch again because I was talking to professional teams. I was hearing from about six or seven teams and uh, it just couldn't come back with you tear your shoulder that much. And when I found out I never play again, I actually turned the camera on myself. I was filming a documentary at the time and it was one of the most emotional real moments I've ever had because that was my life. And looking back on it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me hmm. because at that moment I realized I would never play baseball, but I was going to find something that I was meant to do. And at first, I thought that was coaching. I coached in the Cape Cod League with mm -hmm. uh, uh, Coach Roberts in Katuit. Yep. And I realized that I couldn't have the impact at that point that I wanted. So I decided to uh, take an internship with the worst performing college summer team in the country that no longer exists in Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, with about 56 people coming to games. And just like Tyler, I learned everything about how to get people excited about coming to the ballpark. Mm -hmm. And from there, I got offered the job as general manager of the Gastonia Grizzlies at 23 years old. Um, and I found out that there was $268 in the bank account my first day. There was only 200 fans coming to the game. And uh, with the team had lost over $100,000 the previous year. So figure it, out. Me, figure it out. It was the perfect opportunity because what most people, you, you could have run, but I couldn't make it any worse. Right. So. Um, it was there that I realized that, um, to many baseball was too long, too slow and too boring. Mm. And to get people excited, you had to focus on something dramatically different. And that's when we started trying everything and making about entertainment. And I mean, Chief, you name it, we tried it. Flatulence fun night, salute to underwear night. I mean, we had grandma beauty pageants. We tried it. <laughs> sure. And that's what we learned. People got excited. What happened is yeah. we started developing baseball fans. We made fans of the Grizzlies. We made fans of the experience. And we made fans of the players. Mm. And if you look at baseball players, you know, they play all fall. Then they play 56 games at school, maybe more. And then they play another 56, 60. It's tiring. Yeah. It's monotonous in the middle of the summer. And so I realized that when I played, you know, I wasn't able to have as much fun as I wanted. I took it way too seriously. I wanted to play pro ball. How could I give that opportunity for kids and players and get an opportunity to have a coach that understood that we're going to focus about the fun, the entertainment, and the show, 
and the baseball will take care of itself. And fortunately, that's what happened in Gastonia. I ended up making that team sell out games regularly, ended up buying that team, uh, recently sold that team because we came to Savannah and it was even more successful. And uh, it's been a wild ride, but I'll tell you, I've learned more over the last 12, 13 years about what really matters. Mm. And for me, it's been very clear. It's about the experience. It's about creating moments for people. And uh, the baseball, the revenue, the profits, it all takes care of itself. Oh, boy. Well, we got a lot to unpack inside of, of that comment right there. But, Tyler, I do. there was a, a question that came in that was relative to maybe paying your dues as a summer coach. And, and maybe is that the way to go about developing as a coach? Now, I'm of the, of the thought, and just because it's been the school that I learned in, was yeah. camps was get out and work camps. And so uh, my college coach gave me that advice. I worked every camp that I could, travel, cheap hotels, the whole thing, and only coached one year of summer baseball. But the networking that I feel like I took from that experience, traveling over the country, meeting those guys was huge. You have dedicated your time certainly to camps, but more into the summer experience and giving those months away to those teams. In terms of paying your dues, are you still buying into that, that course of development for guys? Yeah, absolutely. I I get asked that by young coaches all the time, Dylan. You, you coach summer baseball for eight years. You know, I get a lot of people telling me to go work camps and both, both work, both have worked for many people. Right. Um, you know, there's stories on stories of different D one coaches that they started working camps. Those coaches saw them working their butt off every single day and yeah. working with players. And then they ended up getting jobs from that. Um, when I moved to South mountain, I wanted to coach summer baseball and just continue trying to coach as many players as I possibly could and continue. I just love being on the baseball field every single day. I love traveling. So I love seeing a different part of the country. So that was something that I wanted to do. I didn't know, I didn't necessarily weigh working camps at that time versus working or coaching summer baseball. Mm -hmm. So that first summer I started coaching, it was an awesome experience. Let me give you this. You might know a guy named uh, Donald, Donald Fergus. Yeah, you, I know you, him. Uh-huh. You, yeah, yeah. Okay. You ever heard of uh, Justin James? I know Justin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, randomly, us three were working camps or working the Myrtle Beach Collegiate League together our first summer coaching. We like It was sure. unbelievable, the group of guys that were coaching in that league. So I'll give you this. This is why I think summer baseball is the best versus working camps. And there's a lot of pros and cons, but this is why I think it's the best. In my eight summers coaching summer baseball, I've coached over 400 games, um, half of those as a head coach. So I've got head coaching experience. I've seen 400 plus games played out at different levels of the game from the Cape Cod, Coastal Plains League, Texas Collegiate League, Myrtle Beach League. Mm from junior college, NAI, D2, D3, D1, all the above. And so I've seen 400 games and added on to my coaching career. I've seen, I've had, I've coached over 300 plus players because of those opportunities from players all over the country. I think that alone is huge because you're able to connect with different philosophies around the country of, hey, how are they, how are they doing it at Michigan State? How are they doing it at South how are they doing it at Texas A&M? How are they doing it at Oklahoma State? So you get different, you know, hit and run philosophies, bunting philosophies, base running philosophies. And then on top of that, I think one of the coolest things is I've coached with like 18 or 19 different guys over those eight years, those oh. eight summers. And, you know, I mean, 
you talk about a week in the Cape. This was a week in the Cape for me in 2017. I drove up there. I stopped at Cressy's facility for two days. Okay. Mm-hmm. Christian Wanders, all those guys up there. I go over to the Cape. I'm hanging out with Pickler, who's a legend. He's been there over 20 years, I think. All, he's about to break the record for the most wins in, uh, in the Cape Cod League. Um, he's won the most championships. Uh, the next day, I'm watching Ron Polk hit, hit uh, fungos to his infielders. And then Peter Gammons is talking to us while we're hitting BP. And Damon Oppenheimer, the scouting director of the Yankees, is water infield for two hours. That's his morning routine. So you look at like that, that's unbelievable. Yes. So the whole form of the whole summer collegiate league, you're connected to all these coaches across the country. And if you do a good job and develop their players and treat their players right and help impact them, send them back so they're better players coming into the fall, those players will go, hey, you know what, that, you know, Tyler Gillum or Clint Helton or Nate Fish or Austin Knight or uh, Clay Cox or Kurt Dixon, all these guys like, hey, they did an unbelievable job with me. And now jobs start opening up. And either you're getting better jobs and moving into jobs because of how players talked uh, about you um, and how you help develop them as a person and a player. But also, at the same time, you're just making relationships for a lifetime. My second summer in the Myrtle Beach Collegiate League, I had a player play for me. And about a month ago, he just got his first head coaching job at Baton Rouge Community College. And I'm so excited about that. That's one of the coolest things that I've seen. And it's just if I never coached Myrtle in Myrtle Beach Collegiately, which is not even around anymore. Well, coach probably in there. Probably not. (laughs) Not there. Right. So that's just a cool experience. The relationships overall. The opportunities um, and the connections, the growing, it, it's its really important. I think everybody should do some collegiate baseball. There it is. You heard it from Gilly first. Uh, Jesse, I want to take this right from your site and tee you up for this, and we're going to talk about Fans First Entertainment. But on the Savannah Bandas website, we are not like your typical baseball team. We are different. We take chances. We toe the line. We test the rules. We challenge the way things are supposed to be. Paint the picture for the Savannah Bananas for us. <laughs> well, it's very clear for us in the beginning, and I think that's actually a very important point. College summer teams, minor league teams, mm-hmm. even college programs, are they clear on who they are, on what they stand for, mm-hmm. on their core beliefs? Do they have stories that back up those core beliefs? We are so clear on who we are that it makes it very easy to recruit the right people and also have the success that we have. Mm-hmm. I would argue that most college summer programs is bring players in and they start playing. Yeah. Every here for us goes through an extensive orientation. We have a fans first playbook, literally on who we are and what we stand for and all of our beliefs that every player goes through. You don't put on a uniform mm-hmm. until you go through orientation in the playbook. And that's extremely intentional. And I would argue that most minor league programs don't have that. College programs don't have that. And it's something that we had to learn over 12 to 13 years when guys come in here and they just mm-hmm. go back to the way they did things, which might not be the best way for our system mm-hmm. and that we that works. So um, that's number one. Number two, uh, we just realized there was a problem. There's a challenge. If you look at 95% of college summer teams, how much are they drawing? 100, 200 fans? Maybe. And it's an afterthought. It's just, hey, get your bats. It's based on the individual, not based on the collective. And so we were clear on like, hey, we're going to be different. And it's going to be, to many things, show and entertainment and culture first. 
And because we know if every single night there's 4,000 people and every single night they're going crazy and it's this environment that people just want to be a part of, the players will play up. And we actually have data that's backed that up. We had a college professor study it and our players play better than they play in college. Their OPS, their statistics are dramatically better because they play in a culture and atmosphere. So um, how are we different? Yes, paint your picture. Our players do choreographed dances every single game. And it's not just a typical dance. It's a different dance every night from to Justin Timberlake to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Every single night, our players are delivering roses to little girls in the crowd. They're getting on a knee roses. Every night, our players are on the dugout doing ring dudes. Like, you know, in boxing, you have the ring girls. Yes. With the ninth. Yes. Our players get on the dugout with the number nine for the ninth inning. And they are pouring water on themselves, ripping off their jerseys. And people are throwing dollars at the nets. It's all right, it's staggering. Our players are involved in conga lines through the crowd. Our players are the first thing you see when you walk into the stadium. They're passing out programs and yes. signing autographs. It's, it's very intentional. Our players are doing home run hitter before the game where we let a five-year-old hit a home run off a tee and they run around the base of the bananas, throw it around, and then they lift him up at home plate and celebrate it. Wow. Because the number one thing we're trying to do, and that's for everyone, is to create powerful moments. That, that We say this all the time. Moments matter meaning. And that's in wow. our... That's in our playbook and basically create moments that show people that they matter and that'll provide deeper meaning. And to to put it very clear, you know, nothing matters more than making people feel like they matter. And when the players show up here, we want to make them feel like they matter, but understand how many other kids and families and a hundred thousand plus people they're making feel like they matter as well. When you understand that it's something bigger than yourself, it's very clear that the players aren't just playing for an extra hit, an extra bat. As he knows, we've had a guy who's been with us for three years. He may only get 30 or 40 at-bats, but he's an ultimate team guy, and it resonates with everyone else. So, you know, yes, we toe the line on some crazy things, and we do, I mean, we have a, a man in as a male cheerleading team. I mean, we've given away colon cleansings. We give away port johns I mean, we've done women touching butts and then getting proposed to. I mean, we've done some weird sure. things. Um, but it's very clear on the first thing on the website you'll see is we make baseball fun. Yeah, That's, That simplifies it better than anything. Well, for the dad in me that has a three and a half year old that literally word for word knows the intro to the Lion King um, and and literally sings it daily and makes me watch it about four or five times a day. Um, I just I love the Simba moment. I love the presentation of the baby moment. Are we still doing that each each and every game? That's how we kick off every game. So, you know, we have a banana baby, someone that's under uh, usually a year old, could be three months, six months, put him in a banana costume. The mother or father comes to home plate. We said, now to start the game off, lifts the baby up, and all the players are going like this. Nah, Savannah. (laughs) And it makes no sense at all. Um, But the fans get into it. And, you know, it's funny that right after that, we go into a parade. So think about Disney. You have a parade of all the characters. We have all of our characters come. We have Santa. We have a summer Santa in a yellow Santa costume riding uh, the Savannah Banana, a 1964 Volkswagen, you know, uh, all decked out Mm -hmm. Banana. Then we have our pet band of 20 people. Then our Banana Nanas, our senior citizen dance team. Then our Man Nanas, our male cheerleading team. Then DJ Peels on Wheels, which is our mobile DJ that's on a Segway that plays music around the park all day. Then we have our 10-year-old co-host who's in a green tuxedo because he's not quite right. All right. (laughs) Then we have our six-year-old official. (laughs) Yep, that's out there high-fiving everyone. Then we have Split, our mascot. And it's, this is how the game opens. Mm-hmm. And then part of that is the players who are getting the whole stadium clapping and cheering. And again, when you come to a ballpark, come to our ballpark, you expect the unexpected. This is different. And I think what's really important is we're playing a different game. 
If you're playing the same game as everyone else, there's a good chance you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. But when you're playing a completely different game, we don't have competition. The only competition is ourselves. And I think everyone's competing against the wrong things. We're not, we, we do compete on the field for wins and losses, but we're competing on a much bigger game and the wins and losses take care of themselves. And in the four years, a big tribute to Tyler and Sean West, we've had the best record in the league yep. by far. And I think it's a combination of un people understanding what their role is, what we're trying to do, and a very clear culture led by uh, Tyler right here. Mm, okay, so you, you laid out a lot of the activities that are going on. Tyler, take me from sunup to sundown. What does a typical day look like for a player? I know you and I were talking yesterday about one player in particular as a back-end closer, and so his day is kind of segmented for him. But I think for our listeners, lay out what it might look like for a Savannah Banana. So for sure, if we get in from a late road trip, it's somewhere between 1 and 2 o'clock usually. Yeah. So guys will get in 1 or 2 o'clock. Depending on who it is, we've got some guys that love to go to the gym. We have a free membership for guys to go work out at the Zoo Health Club. It's awesome. It's brand new. Um, so some some guys will get off the bus and they'll go work out. But majority of the time, guys will some guys will go fish. We got you know we're right by the yeah. beach. So yeah. Go shark fishing too. But usually they go home. They'll get some rest. Usually they'll wake up around 11, 12 o'clock go get something to eat, go work out is usually the routine somewhere between 12 and two. And then we have early work every day at home at three o'clock. So that's set up every day from three o'clock to four o'clock. Us coaches drop everything we're doing and we're focusing on these guys, whether it's infield, outfield, catching, pitching, uh, hitting, whatever it is. So that three to four o'clock time slot is important for us. Mm -hmm. And then dancing practice. Yes. Hang on. That's coming. That's coming. <laughs> I know it's right. coming. <laughs> so the whole the whole piece of it, us coaches get to the field around one o'clock every day. We are we clean our entire locker room. So we mop, we clean the toilets, we clean the bathroom, we do all of that. We get the coolers ready and we I'm create the script. Yeah. I'm doing that. And I think this is what's unbelievable. We have in our in our fans first playbook, everyone is a janitor. Everyone is a janitor and basically if you walk over trash that's like that's a huge yes. huge problem yes and so that starts from the top and i make sure i mean i pick up trash throughout the game our whole staff our front office staff goes around the entire stadium not just in the ballpark around the stadium because the fans are parking there and for them to actually clean the whole locker room and do that from the top it sets yep. that theme that hey you know we're all in this together yeah and i think that's right really yeah absolutely no, that's a perfect point so with the so we get there about one o'clock we start cleaning um, we have one coach, Lance Larimer. We have four assistant coaches who do so much work that are awesome, that get after it every day. I couldn't do this without – we couldn't do this at all. There's so many pieces that they do outside of baseball too. And they start putting the script together. So we have a director of entertainment, director of fun. Yeah. Um, and basically him and Jesse, they get together. They create a script of what's going to happen throughout the day. They bring that script to us somewhere around 1.30 and 2 o'clock, and we start checking the boxes off of where our players need to be, when they need to be there. So our schedule for the day will look like, and it's color-coded. It's actually called, that's why we came up with Flip the Switch. Yeah. So going from entertainment to baseball to entertainment back to baseball in a matter of seconds. Bang, bang, bang. you got to be able to flip the switch, be able to focus with enthusiasm, with intent, whatever moment you're in. 
So that's where we came up last year with Flip the Switch. So we created this script so people would know, the players would know exactly where they needed to be, when they needed to be there. And it's color-coded from red to yellow, and the red is the baseball, and the yellow is the entertainment piece of it. So from 3 o'clock, it will go from early work, 3.30, everyone shows up. At 4 o'clock, we'll start BP. Um, At 4.30, they'll do the player dance that he's talking about. So usually in the second or third inning of the game, we'll have a choreographed dance with our uh, dancing first base coach. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have to learn that dance. It's about usually a minute and a half, two minutes long. It's a brand new dance every single night. Every single night. It's four four guys. It's usually pitchers. And how you make it work is majority of the time, it's pitchers that are not hot that night. So a lot of players, if people were looking at it and being like, I can't believe you got your players dancing. It's like, hey, it's four pitchers that aren't doing anything that day. They already threw their bullpen. They already did their running. They already did their PFP work daily routines, all right? And what do, what do bullpen guys do anyway? Guys that aren't hot, they sit down there, pick their nose. Two seeds. Falls up, up to the stands with their phone number on it to girls. There's always something going on, right, with those guys. So at 4.30, they dance, okay? They do this choreographed dance. We have Shark, who's our PA guy who absolutely kills it. He, got, he has the music going. They do a bunch of routines, and basically get it figured out for the night. At five o'clock, we're done with BP. They go change in the dugout, or they go change in our locker room, and they have about 20 minutes to change. We have a pregame meal that's basically a big, a big piece of the development plan is mm-hmm. these guys eating weight. Okay, so at five to five twenty, they usually grab something to eat. We have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, ham and cheese sandwiches. We have a blender, we have chocolate milk, we have protein shakes, um, we have fruit, we have granola bars that is available for those guys for every home game. I think that's really that's something I wanted to bring to the table because it's part of these guys developing. So they'll usually grab something to eat, get something, uh, get dressed, and at 5.20 all the way to 7 o'clock, they're broke up into increments of greeters mm-hmm. so at 5 30 the gates open right we have five to six players on the concourse handing out programs shaking hands well what i call h3 hugs high fives and handshakes mm-hmm. okay so just three everybody that comes in okay handing out programs getting to know these people and i think that's an unbelievable thing that jesse's created here is because it connects all the fans to all of these players i mean if you walked into a major league game, if you went to an Atlanta Braves game and Acuna was out front and Donaldson was out front shaking hands, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. These guys are celebrities in town. I mean, it's it's crazy walking around. Everybody knows who Bill Leroy is. Everybody knows Alex dancing Deegan. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a cool experience from that. You know, yeah, you break down the barriers. So you break down the There's barriers no right away. Yeah. And then opening i mean they're coming out and they're seeing hundreds of fans lined up two hours before the game and then we open every night with a band playing a song on the stage we do a countdown and all the fans are going 10 9 8 and it's a mad rush in so these guys like you know i think we're fortunate because they're getting immediate recognition immediate praise and i think that's so important for anybody whether you're business whether you're in sports you need to get that recognition and that praise and they're getting it all the time so it's like of course this makes sense of course this matters and then at the end of the game 
the players are out there at the front plaza. We just gave away free s'mores. So we do free s'mores at, at the plaza from the sixth inning to the eighth inning. And then the band is playing sing-along songs for about 30 minutes. Our breakdancing coach is still dancing. We're having dance parties. And the players are lined up like a tunnel, high-fiving fans as they leave. And immediately after the game, most teams, they'll meet, they'll talk for a while. It's usually a negative conversation if they lost. They talk about 20 minutes. And then the fans have already left in this negative thing. No. Even if we lose, even if we win, they're out there on the plaza to greet. Yeah. And it's really special. It's that last impression. And again, they're getting praise, you know, at the end of the night. Okay. And I got our guys this summer, last summer, it they're absolutely killing it this summer. Our players have done an unbelievable job of doing all of this above and beyond. Yeah. I, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. We've got a kid, Mike Williams, and we hand these flip the switch shirts out for guys that do a great job on the entertainment side and the baseball side. And the other day I was coming to our front office. We have how many full-time front office? 14. 14 full-time front office people in our organization. And I go through here and I'm like, hey, have you seen any of our players that should earn a flip the switch shirt? They they were either taking care of a fan. They were playing catch with a little kid on the field. They gave a broken bat to someone. Um, And the other day I went through and there was probably 10 of the 14 people Give me a different story about Mike Williams, who's at Texas Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. actually play Cox at Parish Junior College. And this kid's unbelievable. And those are the type of types of players that we're trying to bring into this organization, not just talent, talented on the field, but awesome humans, yeah. energy givers, workers that want to show up for early work every day, guys that are passionate because summer baseball can be a ground. We want guys that have the perspective of like, man, it's, I'm really fortunate that I do get to come to the baseball field, even though it's been 10 days in a row and I haven't had an off, you know, so it is a ground at times, but we've got some awesome guys in that locker room that have absolutely killed it this summer. And, uh, I'm just super proud of those guys. So I definitely got to give those guys a shout out. Killed it. Killed it. it. (laughs) Coming up, coming soon. Yes. I seven. Um, so don't go to recruiting just yet because I got something for Jesse and I think I'm, I may be privy to more information than maybe our guests, but I know the interview process that Tyler went through and his selection, uh, to become the manager. But I think, so Jesse tie in what you did with the video interviews, but I think for also other summer baseball managers and GMs convince them that this might be the way, if you do want to move in the direction of bringing character and bringing personality and getting a little outside the box, the video interview is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, with anybody we interview. Yeah. Um, whether that's a game day staff part time member that's going to be with us for 25, 30 games, or a full time staff, or a coach. You know, we have a three part process. And it's the, the, the first part is the video cover letter. You know, and that's difficult for some people. But I'll tell you, we're, we're in a video culture, mm-hmm. and we believe you're always on stage. There's a sign right here in our office that takes you out of the stadium and it says, Always on stage. Wow. And so, we want to see how are you on stage because you're going to be in front of 4,000 people every single night. And so we want a video cover letter from everybody. And people say, well, you'll lose out on introverts. Maybe, maybe. And yeah, that's okay. You got to be very clear on that. Some people aren't going to work out well with the organization. And the best baseball players may not work out an organization if they're, if they're an eye guy. So uh, we asked for a video cover letter. And what are we looking for? Energy, enthusiasm. Do we want to hang out with that person? Does that, how did that person make you feel? Mm-hmm. You can tell, just like we're talking video here. No doubt. I always say, we're going to do a Skype interview. I, you know, I love your bald head. I mean, I, it's radiating right now. Um, but, but I'll mean this in a serious way, Sheets. Yeah. There's an energy that comes from you. Yeah. If, if there's someone like there, you can just tell they're down. They're not going to fit well in our organization. Right. So the video cover letters first. The number two, we ask for a fan's first essay. How do you fit to our six core beliefs? 
which again, we simplify by the alphabet. Always be caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing, and hungry. That's it. Wow. Six words. Always be caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing, and hungry. And they have to write, how are they each one of those? If they're not, they could be the most uh, aggressive, hungry person in the world. But if they're not caring, mm-hmm. if they don't bring enthusiasm, they won't work out. So we go through that. And then the final part, which um, I don't know if we did that two years ago, but we're doing regularly now, if everybody, it's the future resume. We don't, interesting. we don't necessarily care what you've done in the past. We want to know what do you want to do in the future. So to give me an idea, it's like mm. if someone says they want to be um, a receptionist for the next five years, what does that show about growing and hungry? They won't work out. Yeah. We test our core beliefs by their future resume. If someone says they want to be running something huge in five or six years, come on in. We're going to help you get there in two or three years. And we actually ask people on our staff, what do you want to do when you're done with the bananas? Which is crazy because everyone wants people for 30 years, but we want to help. And if you really care about your people, your players, your coaches, your staff, you'll ask those questions. So we, that's our interview process for everybody. Now for him, he come out with his video. He sent video. I mean, he was unbelievable energy, enthusiasm out doing boom, baby. And it was amazing. And, and, and Tyler knows this. He was competing with a major league coach, a literally a third base manager. Uh, he coached third base for a major league team for yeah. three years. And he won in a landslide. And I'll say it, it, here's why. Because he brought the energy and enthusiasm that I knew he would also be open to change and things that are different. And, and he told me, he said, I want to grow. I, Tyler said this, and I'll never forget. He goes, I knew this would make me a little bit uncomfortable. And that's the only way to grow. And we always say that you got to be comfortable being 100%. uncomfortable. And I haven't told this to him, and I'm jumping a little bit here. He became the head coach for the bananas. And I'll say coach, by the way, because um, I don't like the term manager. We don't have manager on any yeah. of our staff because we don't have a general manager. We have a president. We don't have any managers um, because people want to be led. They don't want to be managed. Mm-hmm. So that's why we go with that. So he became our coach, not on the day that we uh, told him he had the job when I met him in Arizona. He became the coach on our second night. And so our first game, uh, you know, again, sellout. It was from the operations standpoint, it was tough. We had video crews filming us. I mean, there was a big crew here and it was a tough night. And after each game, we talk about our fans first moments. We bring the whole staff together and we bring the coach that we talk about our fans first moments. And I spoke in front of the group and we were all down. We got beat up. It was a bad night. We had uh, people go to the hospital. It was just tough. But night two, our whole staff turned it around. And it was electric. And our staff was amazing. And we're talking. And we go around. We start every meeting. This is at 11 o'clock at night, midnight. Sure. What, what were the fans' first moments tonight? What moments did we create? We talk about that across the group. And all of a sudden, halfway through, Tyler stands up and goes, I got something to say. And he gets up and walks all the way in front of the group in our stadium club and gives one of the most passionate, genuine, authentic speeches I've ever seen. And all he talked about was the culture. And not necessarily the culture of the players, but the culture of the staff. And he recognized every single person on our staff and how impactful it was. Now, he's never been a part of something like this. And after he finished, the entire staff did this thunderous applause. It was like we just got a pep talk. We, we wanted to run through a wall. Rodney. And I sat I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Sheets. I sat there, and I almost got emotional. Yeah. I was like, we couldn't have a better person running this team. And because at that part, he bought in, and everyone bought into him. And we had this marriage mm-hmm. and we talk about this. So many teams, front offices, coaching staffs, players, they go separate ways. 
The players and coaches want this thing. The staff wants this thing. And it's a clash. That night, he brought us together. Mm. And two years, I couldn't imagine any better. And I'll tell you, for every coach that's listening, how do you come together with whether it's the school administrators, the staff, the players? you got to make that effort both ways. And when you do that, it's game over. And that's what he did. And I'll never forget it. Anybody that knows Gilly, Jesse, I mean, I could have called you and said it's going to be a perfect marriage. Like you just could not draw up the script any better, but it's awesome to hear the backstory behind how this thing's grown in a couple of years. Tyler, back to you talking about recruiting the team, because I think that was a conversation we talked about yesterday about the different phases, the three phases that you see in summer baseball. And that was also part of another question that came in in terms of managing a roster and you're seeing so many that have restrictions placed on by their coaching staff. And so you've got to phase new players in and out. How do you recruit them? What makes the most sense for you guys? And then talk about those phases. Yeah, for sure. So coaching in the Texas Collegiate League with Kurt Dixon, he was the he was the head coach with the Brazos Valley Bombers at that time, a friend from Oklahoma, and we got connected. Mm-hmm. That was the summer of 2014. And then Clay Cox actually came on to our coaching staff there too. So we coached together. And in those three summers, I watched Kurt Dixon be the best thing since sliced bread in College Station. He's unbelievable at creating relationships, building rosters, and communicating. And I learned so much from him. And he's a pitching guy, so I really took a lot from him. So that's those summers, what I really learned was we talked about recruiting, one, OKGs, our kind of guys. Okay, You hear Clay talk about that all the time. What, what's our type of guy? What, what, what fits into our system? And then also the three phases that we look at at recruiting our summer roster because things change in summer. You hear it all the time. Any summer coach that you talk to is like, oh, I just lost a pitcher. Oh, I just I just had this go down. You're like, if you talk to summer coaches, if their season starts June 1st on May 25th, if you call them, they'll be like, I just lost five pitchers. It happens every summer. It's For happened sure. every summer. It's just part of – the whole system. So you got to learn just to adapt to that. You got to learn what those problems are and prehab for those problems versus rehab those problems on the backside where you're scrambling and like, oh, we got to go find a pitcher. So I'm always trying to just prehab as many problems as I possibly can with the roster on the front end. So we look at it in three phases. The first phase is going to be some of your full-time guys and then some of your temp or conditionals, whatever they call it in each league. Some leagues it's temp guys, some leagues it's conditionals. So you have, you have to get your right conditionals in, in there alongside collaborating with your full-time guys. Now, with what that looks like, it, it's important to make sure you have really good conditionals because in most leagues you want to win the first half to clinch a playoff spot mm-hmm. game one. Okay? So if you don't have let's, – let's say if you just go get all SEC guys, all right? If it was this year, majority of those guys are in Super Regionals. Yeah. Those guys are in Omaha. You don't get those guys until almost July if you if you recruit a full team of SEC guys. Now, we have we have SEC guys. We have, we have guys from Texas A&M, Kentucky, South Carolina. I've talked to multiple other – we've had multiple other SEC guys, Big 12 teams. Um, so some of those guys get there late. So you got to do a really good job in that first phase of finding the right conditionals, which are usually your really good JUCO guys that are going D1 or going to get high profile NAI D3, D2 guys to get you started. Now, 
a lot of a lot of times you'll see pitchers have innings limits. So a lot of those guys that are really good that pitch at school, they'll have, hey, they only have 20 innings. They only have 25 innings. That They only have 40 innings. That's completely fine with me. I'm trying to go get the best players that fit within our organization and what we're trying to pull off. And <clears throat> that are going to help us win, but do what we do on the entertainment side as yeah. well. So it is a unique recruiting piece. I can make it work. If, it's, if the person's good enough all the way around, I can make 20 innings work. I can manipulate it and figure out how I can go, okay, I've got three different guys. He's coming in for 20 innings in the first phase. He's coming in for 20 innings in the second phase. This guy's coming in for 20 innings in the third phase. I can map that out. But i got to prehab that in October, November, December, going into March, watching all of these pitchers pitch. I think some of the things that summer coaches – get themselves into trouble is because they get really good pitchers to start. Okay. Let's say they're big 12 sec pack 12 power five, even mid-major schools. You go get the best, best mid-major, you know, Friday night or Saturday night starter. And they're like, Oh, they're pumped. I'm going to get this guy. He's a dude. And then May 25th rolls around and Hey coach, um, you know, hate to say it, but he, he threw 95 innings. We're going to shut him down. And then they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he shut him down. Like, yeah, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, you have time. to prepare for that. So what do you do? You watch the 800 baseball games that are on TV now. You watch ESPN3 and follow all the collegiate games. You follow these guys. You follow stat lines throughout the entire year. You're like, okay, I'm probably going to lose this guy. So let's com- let's make sure I communicate with their pitching coach or the volunteer, whoever is placing these guys for summer ball, let's let's communicate with these guys. Hey, what's it looking like? Mm. Well, how many innings is this guy going to have? Is he going to get shut down? Um, and I just, you know, stay in constant communication with those guys throughout the entire process. Because really the recruiting process for next summer, it's already started. I, I basically talked to four coaches last year, or last week, four coaches last week about about players for next summer. Mm. So that, it, it's it's pretty much 12 year plan when you're trying to recruit it but phase 12 years would be great 12 years no if you want to go 12 years i'm trying to get i'm trying to get coop coop is signed up yeah cj's a bad girl yeah so 12 month plan recruiting so phase one temp guys half your full-time guys phase two is going to be majority of your full-time guys yeah and phase three is going to be after the all-star break which is usually around july 8th ish Okay, after the all-star break, you need to bring in like four pitchers. Mm-hmm. So you start looking for those four pitchers in March. You don't start looking for those four pitchers on June 25th yeah. when you're like, oh gosh, this guy's got 20 innings left. I got to go get him. Throw the tweet no, out there. Yeah, <laughs> you you definitely you definitely start start mapping that out. March, April. Hey, does. Are you placing any guys in summer too? Are yeah. you placing any pitchers in July? Is there guys that take summer class in June, but they want to go pitch in July? Is there somebody that's going to drive line the Texas baseball ranch, the Florida baseball ranch, Cressy, where are they going? And do they, are they training in June and they want to throw in the back half of July? So that's, that's a, a definite piece to it. The other piece that ABCA brings to the table and is, if you're coaching in smaller leagues and you are losing guys and you're you're needing to try to pick up guys along the way, ABCA, what ABCA is going to do for you is every coach that's in the Cape Cod, I believe, goes to ABCA. I don't know of one off the top of my head that doesn't go to right. ABCA. 
Um, so like those guys have the best of the best going there majority of the time. Um, and we're going to be able, it's going to filter down. So stay in contact with those guys constantly. So you can pick up some of those guys that they have to release. Mm -hmm. And then same, same thing with the Northwoods and the coastal plains league and Alaska and the West coast league. Um, there, there's guys all over the place. And I was talking to a coach last night and he was like, man, you lost four guys this week and you just got these two studs in. How did, how did you get this guy? And um, I said, man, it, it's either I've been I've been filtering this since March. I've been staying in contact with this guy since April yeah. or Tom Holiday randomly called me because I've had a connection with him. And he's has a dude and the guy needs to start, but he can't get him in. So um, Holiday's like, Gillum, I want to send him. I want to send him duty. Can you start? I said, yep. He's actually starting tonight for me. Right. Uh, he was a fourth rounder out of high school. Wow. You know, so he's, he's had two outings. He's really good. But. Again, what's it go back to? Relationships, communication, prehabbing problems, yep. you know, not, not, not just looking at problems all the time. Finding solutions that make it work for the entire whole, not just for us, not just the baseball side, but for the entertainment side too as well, um, and making an impact on this community, which is a big piece. Okay, let me marry these two questions together. You laid out obviously what happens in Savannah. I think for most leagues and most people paying attention to this, What's probably the ideal time in terms of, I think from both sides, if I'm a, uh, a college summer GM or manager, I'm trying to really, I'm sorry, coach and try to bring yep. in that team together and recruit that team. What's the ideal time to do that? But also from the college coach perspective, when should they be really working to get their guys placed and then take all that with just advice in recruiting players in terms of getting to know them? What are some uh, red flags? What are certainly some positive flags that you might hear or see? Yeah. Yeah, I, I first want to join this. My first two years in Gastonia, I did the recruiting. Okay. Okay. So, I, because I thought, let's bring in some good guys. So, you know, I was proud of myself. I recruited Russell Wilson, you know, you know, quarterback. <laughs> sure. you know, I recruited a lot of guys. But what I realized is, you know, that's not what I'm the best at. Now we'll make the biggest impact. Gotcha. And I think a lot of college summer teams, their general managers are still yep. way too involved in the recruiting. Hmm. The key to having a great organization is empower your people to do what they do best. And as I'll tell Tyler, since I learned uh, with two rough seasons in Gastonia, um, <laughs> I should never recruit. And and again, no, but and living and learning, baby. Uh, you do and then learn. Yeah. And I think you know what was great is that in Gastonia, I, I touched everything. I was in concessions, I was sales, I was marketing, I was hiring, I was operations, and I learned a what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, and but most importantly, what gives me energy. And I realized that doesn't give me energy. What gives me energy is putting on a show for 4,000 fans, talking about culture, talking about this. Yeah. So, you know, for everybody that's listening, if you're part of an organization where your GM yeah. wants to do some of the recruiting, I would question, you know, really, is that the best place for you? Yeah. And so we right, right away, I was clear with him, Tyler, this is your team. Yeah. Run it. Let him do what he does well. And he's done it amazingly. And he doesn't get too much in the entertainment or the movie. Like, we mm -hmm. just know our lanes. And I think... That as you go into how to do it, that's the first question in the organization you're going for. Are they letting you do your job or not? Because if they're not, it's going to be a lot of other areas they don't let you do your job either. It's huge. I think that that's a huge point, and I love Jesse that he brought up that he said that because I talked to a lot of coaches across the summer, and they're like, "Man, I didn't get to recruit any of my guys, or the GM recruited all of my guys." Yeah. And yeah. when me and Jesse first talked in the interview process, that. I actually brought that up. I'm like, okay, if I take this job, I want to be able to recruit this team because if we're not any good and we don't succeed like we should it's succeed, on it's on me. Yep. And also, 
if there is a kid that's in our locker room and he might be a turd that I want that to be my problem so I can talk to that coach versus somebody else recruited him and now I've got to keep this kid because I don't have that relationship with the coach or the GM or whatever that is. And I think that's huge for GMs to take notice because I've talked to a lot of coaches like, man, I, I want to be able to recruit, you know, and I think that's a big piece of the chemistry of the team, but also the chemistry of the, or, the front yes. office and, and and the coach, whoever's coaching the team. So, you know, I'm, I, I love that Jesse, you know, we, we work together really well coming into this whole process. He knew exactly what he wanted out of this entire show. Mm -hmm. And I knew what I wanted on, on the field. And that was my goal is to take, he wanted to be, have the most fans, the most entertainment, the most impact, the best fans first experience that you could have at a baseball field. And I wanted to dogpile and develop players. And when I, when we started talking and, and we have a lot in common, reading books, podcasts, so on and so forth, I said, okay, we can marry these things. We can put these two things together. And a lot of that is just communication, you know, is communication of like, how are we going to make these things combine and work? And I think we've done an unbelievable job. You know, last year we had the best record in the league. And um, I think we had over 120,000 fans. Well, I think it's, you focus on the, the where first, actually. And I'm a big Simon Sinek guy. I am why, and that's right sure. there with it. Yeah. But what I started being clear is focus on the where. Where do you want to go? And then you can get to the who and the what. So for us, I've started talking about this, like where I want to bring fans first to the world. And that's in numerous ways, but maybe it's like teach people how to create these experiences and show people that we care yeah. and create these moments. And by bringing that, all right, that's the where. Now, who do you need to be able to do that? That starts right here with a head coach who understands. Then he can bring in the next level who. And then there's the what, the details and the other thing. So again, it's that clarity that I would challenge most organizations. They need to spend more time on being clear on where they're going and who they're bringing in and then what they're trying to do. It's not just we're trying to win a championship. You know, that's that's an OK where, but you need a bigger where and a bigger why if you really want to make an impact. Yeah, so. that's huge. Uh, quick hitter, Tyler, ideal time for for most summer ball coaches, both ends. When 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 should that be? Yeah. So. Uh, you like for the Cape, it starts in July. Like if you want to try to get a dude in the Cape for the following July. Yeah. Like right now, you yeah. should call right now. Yeah. Um, I've talked to coaches already. Um, I think it just depends on. A lot of coaches are trying to figure out who their players actually are, especially if they're freshmen. You know, okay. well, where where do they actually fit? Where's the best place for them? You know, I know a lot of coaches, no matter how good the player is, they won't send them to the Cape the first summer. They they will send them to a league that's a little bit more um, forgiving where they can get confidence. There's a, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Always communicating is always the best plan. Yes. Always sending emails, always making phone calls, always saying, hey, are you looking for guys? Because it changes constantly. I take phone calls every single week of the year, and they're like, Gillum, I've got a dude. And I go, boom, I just put it on the follow list. I'm like, listen, I'm full right now, but it's going to change in an hour, I promise. I tell everybody <laughs> sure. that. And that was a joke I saw on Twitter the other day is somebody was talking about summer baseball and yeah. coaches trying to the play – it's like, no, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full. And then July, I need arms. you breathe, send me a player. Sure. If they get, if the player can breathe and throw a baseball, yeah. he's in now. Right. And it, it's funny and we laugh about it. 
but also that is the prehab part of it. Prehab, ha- have a follow list, um, understand like as coaches, just constantly keep plugging away and trying to find the best place for your players. Okay. Uh, um, and sometimes that's not the best place. Isn't always the Cape Cod League. Yep. Sometimes the best place is not always the Northwoods League. You know, if a player played every single day of the year, if he played all 56 games, might not be best if he's a position player that he goes plays in the Northwoods. But if he was a redshirt freshman and he needs to go play 70 games, that might be 77 games. It might be the. There's so many variables. Right. To, there's so many pros and cons to every league. I love the Coastal Plains League. We have 16 teams. It's competitive. Yep. And it it's it's got to be, in my opinion, um, probably the second best league in the country. But there's pros and cons. Everybody can argue it. I'm biased, you know, but whatever. <laughs> Another quick hitter, uh, just because it's a, coming from our Twitter audience, is that do you recommend that freshmen, I'm talking rising sophomores, that they go into summer baseball experiences or yes. should they maybe dedicate themselves in the weight room? I, it, it, generally generally i say everybody should go okay. all freshmen should go play summer collegiate baseball okay. now there's different variables to that um does the guy need to get in the weight room more does the guy need to take a summer class um usually the pros and cons of it i think all freshmen should because it gets them out of their comfort zone they have to learn to play every single day they have to learn to play with wood not every league is wood i coach in the arizona collegiate league it's a wood bat league mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're at a D1 school, you're swinging metal all year. So you have to go swing wood, get out of your comfort zone. You have to stay at somebody else's house and live under somebody else's rules in a different city with 39 different other players, yeah. like all of those things. Um, I think, I think those are, I think those are important, but, uh, you want to add? Yeah, I'll jump in that as a player. Cause I played three years in the new England collegiate baseball yeah. league mm-hmm. as a player. For me, it was two things. It was growing up in confidence. Yeah. And so I was able to grow up just like he said, and then in confidence. And again, for me, I was able to have fun because there wasn't so much pressure. I looked, here's the, the big thing. When you go to college and you're on a full scholarship, you feel like you're being paid to deliver results. And I put that on my shoulders every single night when I was pitching against number one from another team in the Southern Conference. Mm-hmm. And when you go to college, college summer baseball, you don't have that weight on your shoulders. So you're able just to relax and play. And, and the reason why you love playing and having fun. And so I look at what I did. I was, you know, an all-star. I was an MVP one year. I mean, I, I did what I did in summer ball. But then in school, I didn't play that well. And so that's the big aha moment for me was guys should play summer ball to be able to learn how to have fun again, yeah. to learn how to build confidence and to grow up and get used to this, you know, minor league type atmosphere. And hopefully that can come back to school ball and they take that with them. For me, I wasn't able to do that. And so I hope the guys can take that back with them and realize why they're doing what they're doing and having fun. So I believe in college summer baseball, one million percent. I love it. I love it. Okay, I'm looking at about 20 minutes left. I'm trying to be cognizant of your all's time and your day. So I've got four or five questions left. So again, we're going to move through these. What's the most impactful thing your organization has done to improve player development? What do you think that would be? Most impactful thing. I think overall, just talking about bananas orientation and fans first moments. Okay. So every, every night trying to create a fans first moment for some little kid, because you know, every, everybody listening to this podcast has a fans first moment when they went to a baseball game and got an autograph, met a player, got to play catch with a player, got to experience something with a player that they'll never forget. Or it was a negative experience. I, I've got one from, 
the all 1999 all-star game i think it was 99 i don't it was at ranger stadium i've got a couple players that i'm like i don't like these guys because i was 10 years old and they wouldn't sign an autograph they didn't give me a time of the time of day yeah but i i went to a tulsa drillers game when i was like eight and got two wooden bats that were broken and i'll never forget that experience sure. like that's a fantastic moment so we try to tell our guys every night Hey, have a fans first moment. You know, Jesse's got all kinds of stories well, for, for this. So this guy's been a great, I mean, we, we, we've had players that when a kid asks for an autograph, he'll say, well, let me get yours first. Yep. Oh, and he'll ask for the kid's autograph. That's awesome. You know, when players, oh. it's really, really cool. Those special moments. I mean, Bill Leroy mentioned before, um, it was after late at night, 1130, after a two hour rain delay. And there was only a few fans that were left at the end. And, and we're on the pause and the girl said, you know, I really love to run the bases. And yep. Bill goes, let's go. And takes her out there at 11.30 at night and runs the bases. With that was our catcher. catcher. That's oh, our catcher. Wow. catcher. It's okay. those little things. And I'll share a quick story with you. Our first year, opening night, first game ever of the Savannah Bananas. And it poured for two hours. And I remember being on the field at 9 o'clock. The game hadn't started yet. I looked up. 4,000 people. Not one fan had left. People were in banana costumes. I was like, this is going to be special. Sure. It got even more special uh, in the seventh inning. And this is an emotional story. But a young woman came up to me. And she said, hey, can you get me a signed baseball? And the response always is, yes, we will. But, you know, women, older people are different than kids. You know, mm -hmm. we say, hey, to the game. And she's like, it would really mean a lot to me. And I go, OK. She goes, no, you have no idea. She goes, my fiance had come to every single opening night at this stadium since he was a kid. And he just tragically died about a month ago. Wow. And I'm here with his entire family in tribute to him. If you could get a signed baseball, it'd mean the world. And my reaction is, of course, she goes, one more thing. She goes, my fiance's name was Drew Moody. You have a player on your roster named Drew Moody. Oh. And, and I'm, so he's, he's still yep. playing. He's still playing for the University of Georgia at this point. But uh, they're in the regionals. But his youngest brother, Logan Moody, an 18-year-old freshman, didn't make the travel roster. He's with us. So I go into the dugout. I tell Logan Moody, the 18-year-old, the story. He goes, I'll get the baseball, but I want to go give it to her. So he goes up, I watch, he goes up, sits next to her for an entire half inning, talking with her, talking with the family. And as the half inning ends, he gives her a huge hug and he walks by me. I said, Logan, what was that? He goes, fans first, right? Bang. 18 years old. And he understood what it was about and what was the impact that he was making. And we share those stories over and over again because it's not just about them and playing baseball. It's the people and the impacts they make. And things like that happen all the time. So we talk about developing. There's no better person, in my opinion, on developing baseball players. But I think what comes together the way we develop, hopefully character, hopefully men that really can be great fathers later, yep. can be great husbands. And that's the big picture of what we're trying to do. Perspective 101. Lopez said it best back in the day is he he has a running count of how many husbands and fathers he has. Yeah. And we talked about this in 2016 in Anaheim when I talked about growth you at that time. And that's never left me. That's what brought us together too was in 2017, I had a life goal of having a positive impact on 1 million people through baseball education and exercise. And I wasn't necessarily looking for a head coaching job in the summer or anywhere in, in that point. I was just looking for places to grow and that matched that plan. And then randomly me and Jesse got connected and we talked and everything that he continued to talk about their culture with the bananas was impacting people. Yep. 
And as you know, Sheets, as we go through this life, baseball, playing baseball for a lot of us is going to end when it's when we're 18, 22, 25, 30. But we're going to have like 50, 60, 70 years left. And those are going to be being husbands, fathers, um, you know, Fortune 500 company presidents, whatever that is. And we're going to have to make a change uh, in the world every single day. We're going to have to impact the world every single day. And that's what we want to do with these players. And that's about impacting others. Mm. Here's Big the, picture. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you guys are killing me over here. What's the uh, coaching question that I think it, it definitely needs to be answered just in terms of uh, our audience is how do you balance developing players? You know, wanting to get at bats, wanting to get innings, wanting to get those those reps that they may need versus, you know, really having to play them through a stretch where you have to win. Maybe it's closing in on the midpoint of the season or the end of the year. How do you balance that, Gilly? Sure. I think it's, again, goes back to communication, relationships, understanding who you're recruiting. So the coaches that I talk to to start with, like, hey, what type of player is this? Is this a guy that wants to play every day? Is he passionate about coming to the field? Does he love just being around in the dugout? Is he an energy giver? Does he want to play pro baseball? Those are good questions to start with in the recruiting process. So once they get here, it's not just like, oh, I've got to go play summer baseball because there is a lot of players that it's like, oh, it's just summer ball. Well, it's not summer ball, just summer ball to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to you've got to find those unique players. So you de- they definitely definitely separate themselves. But obviously, you know, we still get some of those players that come into our organization. And basically, it goes comes down to communication. Seeing these guys every single day, seeing who shows up and works without me having to say, hey, let's go do early work. Having communication the first seven to ten days as you get to summer ball as a team. So that's what we do. Once we get here, we go through banana orientation. They figure out everything they do, that we do. We have some team meetings. We have a couple of practices. And those first seven to ten days... I tell all of our assistants and we talk about this consistently is like, I don't care what their swing looks like, what their pitching mechanics looks like. Unless they come up to you and talk, we're not talking any mechanics. I want you to find out who their girlfriend is, who their mom and dads are, where they go to school, what, why they swing the way they do, why they pitch the way they do, Mm. what, what they like, what they don't like, what they like to eat. I want you to know everything about these guys. And if you start communicating on that level and creating those relationships, then the trust comes along after that, after those 10, 12 days of, all right, now let's talk some maybe mechanics. Let's talk, you know, um, a different ways to, you know, pitch or whatever, whatever it is, whatever their, their individual, you know, whatever they're good at, whatever they brought to the table, you know, but it starts with creating those relationships, those first seven to 10 days and then from there, we'll start developing a little bit more. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I no, got- 100%. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you you said a great, you know, I think what most people get it wrong, and that's coaches and businesses. They think that the employees and the players work for them. They got it the other way. They got it wrong. You know, we work for them as leaders. I work for our team, our people, and he works for the players. And I think you need to care. I would say it's care more for uh, your people as people than for what they can do for you as employees. Care more for your players as who they are than what they can do for you on the field. And I think a lot of people got that the other way, right? They got it wrong. Well, you, Jesse, you just don't know this, but this is a common theme on our show. You just walked right into my spider web um, because I've, I've seen this quote and it really sticks out to me as a guy that's trying to be more 
never been really lost on the result page, really more focused on the process of just understanding day-to-day, incremental improvement, moving forward. Scoreboard takes care of itself. Results equals people times process. And you're certainly a guy that has that really intertwined to the fabric of who you are, but more importantly, how you're running the bananas. So you've built a system, you've really injected the right people around you, and you're getting the results that you need. So I want you to talk about those folks. And one in particular that Gilly tells me I have to get you to go into is Reginald. So can you open that up? The legend. <laughs> Legendary, baby. All right. Uh, this is one of my favorite, you know, I, I'm fortunate to be able to speak on stage a lot all over the country. And um, when I talk about how to create, you know, fans first in your organization, uh, Reginald always comes up because, you know, I believe you need to, you know, you need to love your customers more than you love your product, which is love your fans. I need to love your team, love your people, even more than you love your customers. And we have a system that we talk about. It's care, communication, accountability, recognition, and empowerment. All right. Care. And the recognition piece, I always, always, always talk about Reginald. Reginald, uh, 40, year, 40 years old, he's had a mental disability. And he started reaching out in 2016 when we first arrived to get a job with the Bananas. He called every single week for a job. We're like, Reginald, Reginald. Relentless. Relentless. I got the hunger. Hey, persistence. Yes, right. Hunger's there. I was like, he just, showed, he just shows up. He's going to work with us. But he called every single week. And we're like, Reginald, yeah. the job fair is still in April. The job fair is still in April. And finally he showed up and he was ready to go. Big smile on his face. Big tall guy. And uh, he said, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I go, well, Reginald, we're going to be feeding 4,000 people every night. Keeping this ballpark clean is very important. And I say, you know, I always say a clean ballpark's a happy ballpark. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, I'm done. I'm on it. I'm on it. So literally that first year, he starts going around, cleaning the entire stadium with the biggest smile I've ever seen in the world. I mean, literally wow. just like this. And he's oh, going man. around and telling everyone, a great day for baseball. Great day for baseball. Every day he's going every around. Day. And as our president, uh, which we do every every year, every game, we go undercover. Someone on our staff goes undercover as a fan of course to actually do. experience it. So, like, I'm going in a week. Well, I'll take the yellow tuxedo and I'll park with the fans coming. So, anyways, Jared, our president, went undercover. And his whole speech was, guys, what if we were all as yep. noticeable as Reginald? I go, this guy is more memorable than even Jesse in his yellow tux because everyone sees his smile around the entire stadium. He's picking up trash yeah. for 4,000 fans. So, anyways... He's doing this and, and making a huge impact. Everyone loves him. Everyone comes up to us about him. And he's engaged with the players a lot. Yeah. And so anyways, last year, uh, it was his big birthday and it was on a game day. So he made sure to tell every single person on oh, staff yeah. that his birthday was on a game day. Everybody knew about it. So his birthday came and uh, we gathered the entire staff, the whole game day staff, 150 people. And he's out uh, at the dumpster. So I went and grabbed him and I walk him over to in front of the stadium. We turned the corner and his eyes open up. And everyone starts singing happy birthday. And Reginald goes, for me? We're like, of course, Reginald. You know it's for you. You told him. So 150 people sing happy birthday. He gets tears on his eyes. He's he's emotional. And I say, Reginald, one more thing. Make sure you come down to the dugout right before the game. And so Reginald comes down to the dugout right before the game. We do our starting lineup. And now our starting lineup is electric. So just to give you an idea, 4,000 people in the stadium are standing. We've got the pep band on the dugout. The tunnel's out. The banana nanas are on the field. It's like this circus is about to start. And so 4,000 people standing. Leadoff hitter goes through. All nine hitters go through. And then our announcer, Lau, goes, last but not least, fans, you know him. You love him. Put your hands together for Reginald. And he goes <gasps> like this, throws his hands up Fire in the up. air and sprints through the tunnel. And wow. at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, Tyler's there to greet him with his own jersey with his name on it. And so as he hands him the jersey, Reginald, tears now flowing down his face. He lines up with the players. 
and stands there for the national anthem wearing his own jersey yeah. with the bananas. At the end of the night, he said, uh, he gave up to me, he gave me a hug, and said it was one of the best days of his life. Oh, Since that nice. point, he now calls us, calls the coaches. I was with Tyler. We were watching some games yeah. last fall. He gets a phone call. It's in November. Hey, coach, it's Reginald. Uh, I just, you know, I'd love to travel on the bus with you guys this year. I'd love to go to a game if that's possible. And yeah. so now he's going on the bus on the road with them. He's making the Gatorade for the guys. They Reginate. Call, they Reginate. Call Reginate. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's become a huge part of this team, but more a part of this organization. And, you know, he's given us more than we've ever given him. Yeah. But I think the lesson, the lesson that we've learned is it's the simple power of recognition. Mm. And I would challenge every coach, every front office person, everyone in the sports, who do you recognize today? Who can you recognize today? Yeah. You don't need to spend a ton of money. Just let people know that you care for them. And we try to do that with Reginald, and it's made a huge impact. Jesse, if there are uh, – take take yourself out of the Bananas organization. Take yourself out of the current role that you're in and plug yourself into any of the random summer baseball organizations around the country. What would you – especially, again, they don't have sellouts. They may not have, you know, like you said, 280 bucks in their checking account. Uh, what are some easy, quick solutions that they can do it, balling on a budget, that can really maybe turn their organization in the right direction? What, what solutions might you point to? I mean, it, it, again, you have to start at the you have to start the philosophy. Who are you? What you stand for? Okay. If you want to have fun, and if you want to make it a great culture, you need to make sure how are you putting fun into your organization. So, again, look at what what I always say is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. <laughs> so normal gets normal results. Yeah. So if you're in an organization that's struggling, what I'm guessing is that you're doing the same thing everyone else is doing. So you need to look at what is normal, do the exact opposite. So I would I would challenge. All right, what are your promotions? What are your activities? How are the players involved? The easiest thing anyone can do is break the barrier between the players and the fans. Yeah. This is why major baseball is losing. And you can talk about the revenue and everything else, and the owners are happy. Attendance is down, and they're losing fans that are kids every single day. I Opening night, our players were dressed up like fans with tearaway pants and with regular shirts. Their hats and their gloves were on the field, and we put them around the entire stadium. And we had our introduction with our players stand up, That's throw awesome. through the air, rip off their shirt, and start high-fiving fans through the crowd. We break that barrier from when they first see them at the gates passing out programs. So if you're a college summer team, even if you're at a college, see, you could be an SEC school. Get rid of that wall. Put the players with the fans. Make those connections. That's the first thing, the easiest way to start building something. And I'm fired up about it because it's because no one's doing it. Yes. And it's so easy. And I'll tell you, the players get more joy out of it as well. Because the players see, wow, I am making an impact on this kid. I'm not just trying to get, you know, go two for four with an RBI. Yep. Oh boy. That's what matters. I was talking with Brett McCabe, who played at LSU, and and uh, one of the things that he brought up was Skip Bertman got that, who has obviously understood the whole uh, majestic element that's outside of the white lines. And in between games, their doubleheaders, he would make his players, hey, you want to eat? We got peanut butter over here, but why don't you go out there and interact with the fans, even on the road? He wanted them yeah. out and to experience what SEC baseball was, what the fan base felt like, what their energy was. To exactly to your point. Well, you uh, both win on that. It's yes. the, the players win because they get to feel wow, and then the fans win. So it's just a no-brainer. 100%. All right. Both of you, best advice you've been given. What's the mantra? What's the inner monologue? What would you offer there? Go first. Best <laughs> advice ever given? Yeah. Do more than what you're paid for. Love it. Care for others. Do more than what you're paid for and care for others. Those two things, if you if you do those two things, you'll end up in a great spot. Simple to the point. Huge. You know, I can't answer that question normally. That's just not what I, I, I do. <laughs> uh, I ask that question a lot, and I, I 
you know, I have some big heroes in my life and Walt Disney and Bill Vec and P.T. Barnum, but my biggest hero is my dad. Mm. And the best advice I received was nothing that he said to me. And I think you learn more by watching how people act and what they do than what they say. And my dad used to give tons of different, you know, swing hard, Jesse, in case you hit it. And he used to say all these things to me when I was a kid. But uh, six years ago, uh, my dad battled cancer and he had two forms of, of cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, right outside the liver, the size of a, a pear. It was, it was big, the tumor. And my dad went through a year of extensive treatment, chemo, stem cell, you name it. And I wasn't able to be with him all the time because I was down with the team in Gastonia. He was up in Massachusetts. And every day I called my dad the first thing in the morning. And I asked my dad, how is he doing? And every day he said, great. Jesse, I'm great. Just going to be a, a short season. I'm going to be back at it in no time. Every day. Yeah. One day um, at the end of the treatment, he said he was good. He didn't say great. He said good. I talked to my stepmother. They said, Jesse, I've never seen someone more sick. He wasn't sure he was going to make it. He was throwing up all night. It was just unbelievable. He still said good. At the end, uh, he prevailed, uh, you know, wiped out cancer. He's cancer free. He's 70 years old, the best shape he's ever been. And what I watched was my dad battle it every single day and stay unbelievably positive and unbelievably optimistic every single day. Mm. And I've learned from my dad that, you know, don't worry about the little things, you know, the little things that everyone gets so frustrated, stay overly positive. And my dad has brought that in my life that, um, I just could never imagine better advice than not sweating the small things and staying positive and optimistic and always looking to the future. That is gigantic. Well, I'll throw in something since you mentioned dads. My dad and I actually got to use this on a coach the other day. He used to always say that every day you wake up, get fired up with enthusiasm or one day you will be fired with enthusiasm. And certainly for the Savannah Bananas, you guys are bringing energy, you're bringing excitement, and you're bringing enthusiasm to the ballpark. But Jesse Cole, Tyler Gillum, what's going on there, guys? It's fantastic. It's been awesome to really detail and outline what's happening in your organization. Gentlemen, thanks for jumping on, and best of luck the rest of the summer. Thanks. Thanks, Sheets. Appreciate you, brother. Pleasure, pleasure, my man. Pleasure. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great teachers and coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe, and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. Another huge thanks to the great people over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. So if you're looking to do any field upgrades at your facility, head over to astroturf.com that's astroturf.com and see why they have been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our mission is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information, also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ABCA1945. And make sure you subscribe to our new YouTube channel, over at youtube.com slash ABCA1945 for the latest videos and projects that we have on deck for each of you. And finally, feel free to reach out to me directly if I can help you out on Twitter and Instagram at CoachSheets3 or by email sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S at ABCA.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. So as always, coaches, thanks for staying dialed into our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.